if you repeat results, you are in the business that is diagonally opposite to innovation. You know, I've heard people say it's all about execution. Blackberry was executing really well. Trouble is, the world changed while they were busy executing. The most powerful catalyst for getting people into the right frame of mind to do something different and to innovate is actually the sharing of stories. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine Podcast. For this episode, we'll be taking a look back at the year's biggest consumer technology show, CES, which just wrapped up in Las Vegas. Among the topics we'll cover are whether AI lived up to the massive hype it received in the run-up to this year's show, why mobility is the new transportation, according to Allstate CEO, and why podcasting, yes, podcasting, is poised to make a big splash in 2019. Here with us today to talk about all that and more is David DeWolf, the founder and CEO of Three Pillar Global. Longtime listeners of the podcast will know that David lives at the intersection of business, technology, and leadership. After accidentally starting Three Pillar Global at the age of 26, David has grown the organization to nearly 1,000 employees around the globe hitting the Inc. 5000 list of fastest-growing private companies for seven of the last nine years. Three Pillar builds customer-facing digital products for companies like Carfax, PBS, Equinox, National Geographic, and many other industry-leading clients. After a little more than a decade in business, Three Pillar and David have racked up dozens of awards, including Smart CEO Magazine's Future 50, Washington, D.C.'s 40 Under 40, and Virginia's Fantastic 50. A board member and angel investor, David is a columnist for Fortune and Inc. magazine. His insights on the digital economy, innovation, culture, and company growth have been featured in Fast Company, Forbes, Inc., Entrepreneur, Pando Daily, and ZDNet, among others. Welcome back to the podcast, David. Hey, thanks. It's great to be back and um, always love to be on the podcast, no doubt. Absolutely. So you're now officially one or maybe it's two days removed now from Las Vegas and the madness that is CES. In a preview you wrote for the Three Pillar website, you covered a trio of technologies, AI, machine learning, and deep learning that you're going to be keeping an eye for out there to see if there were real solid applications of them that you saw. Did anything catch your eye that made you think, okay, this is what I was looking for? Yeah, you know, I I think I saw what I expected to see, which was a lot more of the same. You know, there's no doubt that there are some really big uses of AI out there that that the big guys are using, right? And, And the things that we're all aware of. But I think, by and large, what I saw was AI and machine learning are still buzzwords, and people are trying to use them to grab attention. And um, the, 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 the acronym AI was literally all over the place. It was littering things, and in areas that I just didn't see the value. I, I couldn't see how that, that actually delivered a, a real need. And so I'll give you an example. Uh, I think it was the Sony booth that was talking about about AI-driven sound uh, and how in your home theater, machine learning would allow you to have artificial intelligence to optimize the sound in your home theater. I don't get it. Like, do we really need that? Do people really want to buy that? 
Uh, what does that actually mean? I'm not sure. Um, and so I think it's things like that where people are excited and really still searching for the answer. And I think at the end of the day, the question still remains, right? How is AI going to pl- play out and really provide real benefit, not just gimmicks? I think still we're dealing with a lot of gimmicks. Yeah. And I know you were at the Fortune Brainstorm Tech Dinner where the idea of, quote unquote, mobility at trans- as transportation was a hot topic. So for listeners that may yeah. not know, can you share what that means? Because it's about much more than just getting from point A to point B. Yeah, you know, th- this is an interesting trend that I saw, not just at this dinner um, and, and Fortune's program, but also across the board. There has been a very real shift in terms of this word mobility. You know, if you think back several years, mobile was all the rage, right? And, and as phones were really beginning to, to gain prominence, um, everything was mobile, mobile, mobile. But what we meant by it was phones. And then we meant tablets, right? And then it got a little bit more diverse than that. And it became about just devices everywhere. And it was the age of IoT. Well, I saw a very real theme of mobility really being about true mobility, about transportation and about how we get from one place to the other. And it was an interesting new twist on the word that uh, isn't just something that's talked about in the corner, but but really was obvious that it hit the market as a whole. Um, and I think that there are a couple of different areas of where the innovation is going to come from uh, and where change is going to happen. You know, one is is the obvious, right, which is the, the automated vehicles, right, autonomous driving, the connected car, right? And a big part of the conversation that's going on is the reality that that car ownership is so inefficient, right? If you look at the metrics around how often a car is actually used, and I think it's like 3% of the capacity for transportation is actually used at any given time. Uh, it's just absurd. So there's a lot of slack in the system. Um, and, and so starting to use these connected technologies in order to create a more efficient economy and to use these assets more efficiently, I think is, is the, the disruption conversation, right? The innovation is, is the autonomous vehicle and the connected car. The disruption is how does that disrupt the economy? How does that change the way money flows? And, and it intersects with this economic question about efficiency around transportation and vehicles. Um, I think the second piece that then goes on top of that is in this world where we're in some sort of transportation or vehicle more often, we also see um, the prominence of the infotainment system become even more important, right? Uh, think about it. If we're in cars that are driving us, right, what are we doing while we're there? Are we are we consuming more content? Um, you know, it, does media have a, a larger presence within the vehicle being connected to the outside world? And, um, you know, maybe it's 5G technologies in the car so that truly while we are mobile, uh, we are as connected as we are anywhere else. Those types of things matter. And so the, the info media, infotainment uh, part of transportation, I think also changes and evolves. And then the last piece of it is the infrastructure. As we move to this world, there's a lot of infrastructure that has to change. And how do our vehicles, which are driving autonomously, begin to interact with the stoplights? 
streets and begin to interact with other, you know, with, with parking and, and and other infrastructure components like that. And what I saw was in all three of these areas, it was amazing to me that it wasn't just the auto manufacturers. It wasn't just the automobile industry that was talking about transportation. It was across the board. Really, this theme of mobility and specifically mobility through vehicles uh, was pervasive across uh, consumer electronics companies, across uh, you know automobile manufacturers, across uh, software platforms, across the entire spectrum of companies. And, and that was fascinating to me. Yeah, I saw that Ford uh, unveiled a, a car that they basically say will be connected to everything, but that will be, I, I believe, highly reliant on 5G. So you heard a lot about 5G out there. Do you think it's ready for prime time? You know, I, I don't know if, if the infrastructure is ready for prime time or not, but what I would say is it was obvious to me that the consumer side, the way we take advantage of that is not ready for 5G. Um, you know, I, I'm going to take the industry for granted that 5G is ready for prime time. But mm-hmm. when we're talking about that, we're talking about ping and pipe. We're not talking about what are the applications of that in a real world where now software and devices can leverage the benefits that it brings to bear. And I still have questions about what those are because I don't, I just didn't see enough, right? I I was actually shocked that I saw very little around 5G, comparatively speaking. Um, it, It just wasn't prominent. And I expected to see a lot more examples of, hey, this is where you're going to actually see a tangible benefit. This is the additional value we can provide to a consumer. Uh, and I just didn't see it. I saw infrastructure uh, plays, and that was about it. Yeah. So on on the Fortune site where they had a bit of a recap of the, of the dinner you were at, there's a short video of the Allstate CEO sharing the one thing that sets them apart from smaller, quote-unquote, digital natives that might come in and try to carve out some of their customer base. I thought the answer, especially Mm -hmm. for an insurance company, was interesting. It was data. So you often talk about data being the fuel of the digital economy. What do you mean when you say that? And and as a follow-up, is there a way you would explain it so that it doesn't sound so sinister to people who are concerned about privacy in the age of Cambridge Analytica and others? Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is that that talk was very fascinating because what I found was that um, all states, and really from the top all the way down, um, is thinking different. And what's different about them is they're not just thinking about their data, they're thinking about their customer. And that became very obvious as he was talking about themselves as not being an insurance company anymore and realizing that mobility was taking the world by storm and that they had to explore how to be relevant in different ways. And and the statement was actually made, I believe it was that about 30% of their policies, if you actually look at their insurance policies, only 30% of them are what you would consider to be traditional insurance policies. So they're even from the inside out, they don't think of themselves as an insurance company anymore. And they are trying to push the boundaries to really challenge themselves to think about the consumer. What does the consumer need? And ultimately thinking of themselves as a mobility company uh, that is leveraging this vast amount of data that they have uh, in order to compete. And, and I think this is precisely the type of transformation that we see. The reality is from all these traditional businesses, whether it's insurance or others, you have these 
assets, which are data. We, we have all of this data about things. And the question of innovation today is how do you leverage that data in order to compete in a new economy? Uh, and they're doing it. They are looking and they're not just using their data to underwrite anymore. They're using their data to explore new ways of serving customers. And their focus is on this commercialization by building consumer products, by building new service offerings that leverage a digital world um, and can really leverage this data that they have. And so the digital becomes the channel and the data becomes the raw asset uh, that they are using and, and refining in order to provide new types of value propositions. And that, that's what they're searching for. That's what they're looking for. And they were very upfront about the fact that they're in a point of time of transition and that they no longer can consider themselves a insurance company. And I thought that was just so insightful and such a great example of uh, types of companies that are succeeding in this digital economy and, and where they can compete, where they can beat the digital native, right? They do have an asset that any old startup isn't going to have, and that is the data. And data is insanely valuable. And, and what would you say on the privacy side of things for customers that are maybe concerned about their data being used you know, being monetized by companies or being used in ways that they're not comfortable with. Do you see that continuing to be an issue in 2019? I think there's this dilemma between security and privacy and the flip side, which is the convenience and the value proposition. I think we all want the convenience. We all want the additional value that comes from what we derive from data, but we're also concerned about our identity. We're concerned about how our information is being tracked and, and how, you know, what we do is being tracked and how it can be abused. And I think what that means is that trust matters so much more than it has in the past, right? You you need that brand equity. You need to have that trust relationship. And it, it's why, what was the, the one thing that maybe made the biggest splash in the early days of CES? Uh, it was Apple's ad on the side of the hotel. I think it was a residence inn, right? That was basically claiming that we don't sell your data like Google and Facebook do, right? What what happens here stays here. I think that was so poignant, and, and that is their brand, and that matters to people. Um, and so I think the foundation is trust with the brand and how are they using your data. And then I think what, uh, what, what brands need to do that want to protect that trust is to make sure that they're not just selling raw data, but they're actually using the data to provide true customer value, right? It doesn't really provide a customer with any value if I'm just selling your data to somebody that's going to target you with ads, right? That seems very obtrusive to me. But if, if you're taking my data and using it as part of trending information and to mix it and match it with benchmarks and do other things and anonymizing it and, and coming up with a value proposition over and above that, if I feel like it's adding value to me, I may have a different perspective of it. And so companies have to find this balance. They have to uh, figure out how do they use the data, but not necessarily sell you or sell your data directly, but instead leverage it for your benefit. And I think when when that happens, that's when, when companies like Apple are able to build that trust-based relationship um, and be given permission to use the data ultimately. And you came away from last year's show feeling like everything being connected led to there not being much new and novel about having connected devices. 
Did you feel the same way this year yep. based on what you saw? Yeah, you know, I think the next step has been taken, uh, which is it wasn't even part of the discussion anymore. Yeah, yet last year my blog post was IoT is dead, right? Because I walked around and everything was IoT, 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 and it was like, no, this isn't special, right? When we're talking about a connected razor blade uh, or a connected breast pump, it's just not special anymore because everything is connected, so it doesn't matter. This year nobody even tries, right? The buzzword wasn't IoT. There were just a bunch of connected things, and nobody was marketing that that was special anymore. And so I think it was a continuation, and I think it was spot on. It was the right decision um, because the reality is uh, being a connected device doesn't matter. It's, it's what you do with that connectivity. It's the value proposition that you provide that really matters. And I think the market has grasped that. They've owned it, and we are past the age of IoT, no doubt about it. So I understand that another area that you saw that there was lots of interest in was healthy living tech. What were some of the products or, or types of things you saw or heard about in the healthy living field? Yeah, this is a word I didn't even know what to call it, but I'm going to, I'm going to call it healthy living. Um, there is definitely a trend that's occurring, and we've been seeing it bubbling up, but I think it came to the forefront this year of technology helping us to be healthier. And it's all across the board in terms of the number of clean air purifiers that I saw, water purification, uh, things to help you eat better, uh, measures of organic food, having um, the right mindset and and, um, being able to have um, enough margin in your life and, and manage your mindset throughout the day. Like all sorts of different flavors of staying healthy, right? And I think the trend started several years ago uh, with the connected devices and IoT and the wearables, and, and they started in the health space and how many steps are you taking? But oh my gosh, the number of different devices that uh, surrounded what you eat, what you put in your body, how you spend your time, how you track your sleep, um, how you make sure you have meditation and, and the value of your meditation, um, all of those types of things that um, I think we're really getting to a place where technology is starting to focus on improving our lives. Uh, and I thought that was that was fascinating. So in talking with our VP of marketing, Margaret Irons, while she was out there, she mentioned a topic that's very near and dear to our hearts. Podcasting was on the tips of a lot of people's tongues <laughs> in Las Vegas. So I have a two-part question for yep. you. Did you have a chance to catch up with our new best friends from NPR while you were there? And did you also hear some of the buzz on podcasting while you were there? You know, I, I, I traded a couple messages with NPR, but I was not able to meet with them uh, while I was out there. They were so busy, had a lot of stuff going on. But I will say this trend is real. And I, I'll be honest, I was shocked by it. I was floored. Uh, maybe it's because you've been doing this podcast for so many years now, Will. I did not realize that podcasting was the new thing and that it had kind of broken through and becoming so popular. Um, but there's no doubt there was a trend. There was a lot of conversation by there. I think there were about, gosh, it, it was either four or five 
different podcasts that reached out to me for interviews um, that have have gotten scheduled that I've never had before. And so it was um, it was really interesting to see that the market has finally caught up to you. Will you you are a trailblazer? You're ahead of your time, but apparently it's becoming more and more popular, and, and you're on the leading edge. Well, I have you to thank for that. Uh, so thank you actually for uh, for for planting the seed of the idea for the innovation engine and. Actually, I, I need to apologize. You know, typically when we do a big landmark episode, I'll get you make sure that I get you in the studio and we'll do something like bring in a birthday cake, which we did for the 100th episode of the Innovation Engine. This will be the 150th episode and we're we're miles apart and getting further apart as you drive away from the office. So for 175 <laughs> or, or 200, we'll have to do something really big and special. Totally. Well, isn't it cool that technology has finally got to the point where we can do this remotely, right? So, um, 150, that, that is amazing. We'll have to do something really big for 200, no doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. So, let me ask, the last time we, we had you on as a guest, we teased a book that you're working on with Jessica Hall mm. on the product mindset. Can you give us an update on where things stand with the book? Yeah, so um, we are in final editing stages, and I think we're a few months away from uh, publishing. So in the the spring, probably early Q2 of 2019 here, the book will be coming out. And it's been a lot of fun working on it with Jess. Um, She's just so bright and uh, been a lot of fun reminiscing about how the product mindset has come about and where it came from and, and really how we think about products differently and how you're able to build uh, successful products if you have the right mindset and you really prioritize that which matters. And uh, so we can't wait to share it with the world and get it out there um, because it's really going to take kind of what our secret sauce is and um, and put it into the hands of the, the market, which we think is important um, because we've seen what an impact it's had on ourselves and on our clients. And uh, we want the rest of the uh, digital economy to benefit from it. Yeah, and and I know you don't want to give the whole thing away. We want to we want to save some spice for when the book actually comes out. But what would you say are kind of like what's like the Cliff's Notes version of what the product mindset is? Yeah, the, the Cliff Notes version is this: that um, we have grown up in a world where building software has really been shaped by the enterprise IT mindset. And the enterprise IT mindset is one where we are trying to save pennies and that the systems that we build are systems that drive efficiency and help to automate things within the enterprise. And the reality is that world is is very valuable, but very different from the product world that we live in now. When we are building software and systems that their intended purpose is not to save pennies, but to create dollars and to drive growth for an organization, instead of automating and creating efficiencies, you're actually experimenting and you are building things that your customers need and want, and you're creating value propositions. And that requires a fundamentally different mindset. And so what we do in the book is we share the characteristics of that mindset. What is fundamentally different about product to the 90. And then what are the principles? What are the reactions? What are the responses that you need to have in order to think and work that way? Um, and so it's really a roadmap on how you change organizational thinking and thrive in this digital economy. And I know writing the book has been a labor of love. I'm sure it's provided you with some nice walks down memory lane, thinking of all the companies three pillar has helped bring products to life over the course of the last 12 plus years. 
If you had to share one or two of your favorite product mindset stories that you delve into in the book, which ones would they be? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I'd have to say that the first story uh, that we share is actually the story of how I began to discover the product mindset. And that story is the Service Bench story. Um, Service Bench was our first client. Uh, I actually started working with them as an independent consultant back when I, I couldn't even dream what Three Pillar was going to become, right? I, I really thought I'd be a, an engineer the rest of my life, just working as an independent consultant. And through that experience is where I discovered the product mindset and I discovered this difference. And um, it was such a fun time and really uh, kind of blew my mind open um, into this world of innovation. I always knew that I loved innovation and innovative work and building things that, that were disrupting markets. I never realized why. And that service bench story taught me the why behind that. And so it's undoubtedly my favorite. I, I really like it. And then, gosh, throughout the rest of the book, we tell a lot of stories. Um, some of them are clients. Other ones are in the market. You know, one of my favorite stories overall, uh, we talk about uh, minimizing time to value and making sure that product gets out in the market so it can be used and you can drive real value, both to your consumer, but also to yourself. And in that section, we talk about the card munch story, uh, which is one of my favorites of all times. You know, card munch, if everybody remembers, was a little app that was created for the phone in the early days of the smartphone with the intention of automating the digitization of business cards. And you would take this picture of your business card and it would transform it into your uh, contacts for you. And when it was launched, everybody just assumed that that technology uh, was actually taking the image and doing image recognition to convert it and then put it back into your contacts. Well, it turns out in order to minimize time to value, they realized that they wanted to test the hypothesis that, these, that this was actually something desired in the world. And so the technology they built simply took the picture and uploaded it to the cloud where somebody on the other end would manually transcribe the card and push it back to you. Talk about an unbelievable mindset there of really minimizing time to value and not building what you don't need. Well, it turns out that Card Month became successful and that actually was acquired by LinkedIn, I think for about $3 million early on before they even built the technology uh, to, to do the image recognition. And um, I just think that's a, a really, really cool story and a great example of minimizing time to value. Okay, and if I can go back to Service Bench for a second, I know they say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but it's my understanding that you're still tight with the Service Bench founders and there's an annual craps game <laughs> that takes place at in Vegas. So how did things go on the craps table for you in Vegas? <laughs> oh man, word leaks. This is not cool. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's totally funny. We, um, I think it's five or six years now. Um, they've actually been going for a long time, but about five or six years ago, I went out to my first CES and there is a service venture union every year. Um, and the founders, uh, John and Rob uh, are there. And uh, actually Michael, uh, who, who was their CEO and is now our chairman um, and a lot of other service bench folks um, show up. And what's interesting is there's actually two components. You only heard about one component. The first component is um, one of the founders absolutely loves the uh, dueling piano bar. Um, and so typically we start off there and then go to the craps table. 
this year we started off there and a few of us carved off and ended up doing blackjack instead of craps. The great news is usually I am the blunt of all jokes um, because I go in with my hundred bucks and I'm done within 10 minutes. This year I actually doubled my money that night. So I walked away with, uh, with $204 over my 100. Um, so I did not come home uh, empty handed this year, which was, which was great. They call that a win in Vegas. Uh, so congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and thanks so much for spending some time with us today, David, to share reflections on CES 2019. Uh, some some great food for thought for listeners as we think about how technology will impact uh, consumers here this year. And uh, we look forward to having you back on for 175 and 200 when we'll have a big big celebration. Looking forward to it. Will always fun. Thanks for having me. Of course, thank you. If you'd like to learn more about David DeWolf. You can visit his own website at daviddewolf.com. That's D-E-W-O-L-F on the last name. You can also follow him on Twitter at at D-DeWolf. Also, keep your eyes peeled for the Product Mindset book, which David is co-writing with Jessica Hall and which will soon be coming to a bookstore near you. The Innovation Engine podcast is brought to you by Three Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. Head to www.3pillarglobal.com to learn more about our services. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. And we post extensive show notes for each episode on the Three Pillar website at 3pillarglobal.com slash podcast. That's three with the number three. Last but not least, we're always striving to improve here on the Innovation Engine podcast and we get asked often, who listens to it? We can see from our analytics that a pretty healthy number of you do listen, but raw download numbers don't do much to help us learn who out there is listening, what your day-to-day jobs are like, and what kinds of topics or which specific guests you might like to hear from. So if you'd like to help make the innovation engine a little bit better, please take a few short minutes out of your day and shoot me a quick email with some of that information. Will.Sherlin at 3PillarGlobal.com is my email address. Also, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and message me there. Thanks as always for listening, and we'll see you next time.